Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to the Forum. Welcome to The Spiritual Forum, everyone. So glad you're here. Thank you for all your support. Thank you for sharing the podcast. This is a podcast. This is out there in the world to try to inspire people to live the spiritual life and to find that divine within you and to cultivate that and to be that in the world because we know that the world is calling us to wake up to our divine selves. So I'm hoping this podcast influences you in that way. And remember, if you have a personal story to tell, a story that is has a spiritual aspect to it, about your spiritual journey, give me a email at revcarolsaunders at gmail.com. I love having regular people on to tell their stories. Today, my guest is Hope Anderson. Hope is a poet. She's a novelist and a memoirist, and her poetry has appeared in The Awakenings Review, Indolent, Ink and Nebular, The Pangolin Review, and The Literary Yard, among others. In her recently published book of poetry, Postcards of a Loving God, she explores relationships with nature, family, and God. Each poem is a snapshot of some intimate spiritual moment, and taken together, the collection allows the reader to enter into a relationship with the divine. Welcome, Hope. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm looking forward to our chat. Me too. And you're in North Carolina, is that right? I'm in North Carolina, yep. Okay, and I've got snow, and it's it's up to 27 degrees here today in Wisconsin. What's it like there? It's 50 degrees and sunny. We did okay. have, you know, we had that Arctic freeze for the holidays, and yep. that was really lovely to have seasonal weather, but now it's warming up, and the daffodils yep. are starting to peek their heads out of the oh, ground. Oh, my goodness. That'd yeah. be way too early here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Glad to have glad to glad that you're having a little a little break in the weather. But those daffodils, it scares me when they come yeah, up. They always come up here in like April and it snows again. It's like so anyway, I wanted I wanted to talk to you today about your spiritual journey and about your your poetry book. I've got it right here. I'll put it up here for those who are watching on YouTube. It's a it's a sweet little book of fabulous poems. So why don't you start, um, Hope, by first of all, I love your name. <laughs> <laughs> I love names like hope and joy, <laughs> faith. <laughs> They're warming to the heart. Why don't you start by just telling telling us your story? And because you wrote, you're writing poetry about God and nature and your relationships and kind of how you got to that. Wow. Well, where to begin? Yeah, wherever you want to begin is fine. <laughs> I, I guess I'll begin. I grew up in a, a religious household. My dad was an Episcopal priest. Oh. And we grew up in a church school where he was a chaplain in Connecticut. And I used to go to church with him all the time. I was absolutely doted on my father. And I was very, if you know the Episcopal Church at all, the the liturgy is absolutely gorgeous. The Psalms, the prayers, everything. I fell in love with words. And at that school where we lived, Kent School, the students also put on Shakespearean productions every year. And I would sneak into the auditorium and watch them rehearse and listen to Shakespeare and just love the sound of the words. So I fell in love with words when I was pretty young. I also fell in fell in love not with the church, the the 
organized religion, organized church always baffled me. I I loved the idea of the baby Jesus and all that stuff, but I never really bought into Christianity. I always had my own kind of pagan view of things, I think. And I, as a teenager, would go out in the woods. By then, we had moved down to Maryland. My father ran a Episcopal girls' school in Maryland outside Baltimore. And I would go out in the woods, and I would sit, and I would have these long conversations with an entity that I called Mr. Riley. And that was my notion of a higher power, a God, a, a confidant that I could bring all my concerns to and get solace from and feel connected with out in nature, sitting on that log out there. And I, I started writing poetry when I was a little girl. I think I wrote my first poem when I was probably only about six years old. And I wrote poems all during high school. I wrote short stories. I Most of them were very, very dramatic. They were very, they were very kind of spiritually religious. I don't know. I I had a poetry teacher in a poetry workshop that I went to in high school, and he told me I reminded him of Edna St. Vincent Millay, if you know her poetry at all. um, And anyway, so I was writing poetry in high school and kind of did that and wrote short stories, like I said, and wrote plays. I just always was a wordsmith, you know, just always came naturally to me. Then when I, what happened when I was a fairly young teen was I started drinking alcoholically. Um, And by the time I was in college, I was quite a full-blown alcoholic. And by the time I got out of college, I had lost any sense of creativity, any sense of spirituality, any sense of uh, power outside myself, any notion of God. And, And like one of your other speakers talked about losing his heart that his heart was closed. And that I the thing that scared me the most about that time in my life when I was in my early 20s was that I was so soul sick. I I felt like my soul was being absolutely sucked out of me. And I it was terrifying and I I really didn't see any point in living. I didn't know how to die. It was just a very very dark place and I ended up getting into recovery when I was 26 years old, and I have been in recovery for 41 years now. Um, And a big part of that recovery is a spiritual journey. And so when I, just to back up a little bit, before, right before I got into recovery, I was studying with Derek Walcott, who was quite a famous poet, and writing poetry and getting my poetry published and getting my short stories published. And I was around some very fancy writers and they all drank like fish and I tried to keep up with them. And And it was kind of a mess. And they, they thought, they told me that I was going to be the next great American novelist, but that just sent fear into my bones because I could not live up to their expectations, the shape I was in with my drinking. And anyway, so I got sober and I I stopped writing because I couldn't imagine being a creative person without using alcohol. It took me, you know, I, I just didn't know how to do that in the beginning. And it took me a number of years to get back into my writing in order to, uh, you know, feel like I was safe 
that I wouldn't be in jeopardy of picking up a drink again. So I, I became a teacher. before, Right before that, before becoming a teacher, I took myself to divinity school to try to understand this whole thing of God a little bit better. And also to get my teaching certificate, I went to Yale Divinity School where I was able to study Dante for a year, the Divine Comedy and read the Old and New Testament and get some, you know, strong literary background in those areas and get my teaching degree at the same time that I was studying in the divinity school. And I came out of there, taught high school religion and English for a while. And then I ended up meeting the man that would become my husband. And we have now been married for 33 years and we have three grown children and you know life is pretty good but we've gone through some really challenging times and just to fast forward my during the years I I was a teacher for like 25 years and and during that time I would take periods off from teaching and do things like ghost write books for people or work on screenplays for people or you know, do those kinds of things. But they were always jobs that I was doing for somebody else, somebody else's idea that I was putting into play. And I I didn't really have my own sense of my own voice and my own divine spark within me. And that came when I actually hit 59. It's a it's an interesting story. My husband in 2000, around 2012, I was let go from my teaching position. And it was actually very fortuitous because my husband got very sick. He had liver disease. He had cirrhosis of the liver. He had encephalopathy or whatever that thing is where you lose your ability to think straight. And anyway, he was very sick and I became his caretaker. And by 2015, he was on the waiting list in a hospital in Charlotte down here we live for a new liver. And he had been on that list for a year and a half and he was getting worse and worse and worse and no liver was coming. So we took him down to Jacksonville to the Mayo Clinic and they did all these tests. We wanted to get on their list as well. And at the end of a couple of weeks of testing him, they brought us into the office and they said, there's nothing we can do for your husband. He's going to be dead in three months. And um, we just were shocked absolutely shocked that they would say that, you know, that that was their way of dealing with it. And we, what we did was we got in the car, we just piled all our clothes from the hotel and put them in the car, turned on Garrison Keillor's pretty good jokes and listened to jokes all the way back to Charlotte. And then we both got really quiet for a couple of days and kind of lived with that information that, um, this is what was in store for us was for Tom to die. And I was going to be alone. And we got okay with it. We both got okay with our understanding, our acceptance of the situation. And then, of course, the original hospital called and said, don't be ridiculous. We're getting you a liver. And within two weeks, he had a pre-owned liver from a female (laughs) donor. And he went on to become a, a personal trainer. And he's he works at the YMCA. He is a personal trainer. He has clients that he works with. He works with the Live Strong program for cancer survivors because his liver was riddled with cancer and 
And, you know, he survived that. And anyway, so I didn't know what to do with my life. I was lost. I, my kids were all grown. I didn't have a job. My husband was getting better. I didn't, ha- I was an empty hole in a donut. And I went to my, to the universe and I said, what am I supposed to do with my life? And what I heard was, right. So Tom went to a conference for his previous job. And I took some marble notebooks with me and I wrote by the pool, I wrote the whole draft of my first novel, Where When the Moon Winks. And it, you know, I revised it, I edited it, and it was published a couple of years later, but I got that whole thing done in a week. And that was the beginning in 2015 of a very, very fertile period of writing for me. In that, since that time, I have written four novels. Three of them have been published. One is a young adult novel that I'm trying to get an agent for right now. I've written two chapbooks of poetry. One is The Postcards from a Loving God. The first one was called Taking in Air. And I've written a memoir called How to Remodel a Life. And I've written a number of screenplays, both for producers and then just on my own that I'm hoping someday will be, you know, up on the screen, especially my adaptation of where the when the moon winks, I I made that into a screenplay, and I'm really hoping that gets produced. But it's been it's been seven years of just like churning out, not churning, just this joyful ride of discovering my voice and being able to produce all this poetry and all these books and everything else, and it's been wonderful. And you know, there were there were times back in my in the 90s. I was thinking about the 90s earlier today. And how difficult that stretch of time was for me because I started having babies, first of all, and I had three babies within four years. They were all two years apart. So 90, 92, 94. In 1992, my 1991, my mother was killed in a car accident um, while I was pregnant with my second daughter. And when the baby was born, I went into a postpartum depression which actually blossomed into something else. When my father died in 1997, I had a major manic breakdown and almost lost my family, my kids, my life. It was just a big, huge mess. And um, But I was diagnosed at that time with bipolar disorder. And I was very, very fortunate because I was put in touch with a psychiatrist who knew what she was doing She worked with me to create the appropriate cocktail of medication so that, you know, I I could lead a normal, healthy life as long as I engaged in self-care, which I do on a very regular basis. And I've just, you know, so I've been on medication for bipolar disorder since 1998, and it didn't take away my creativity. It hasn't stopped me from being who I am. That's just part of who I am. I'm I'm a recovering alcoholic, I'm a recovering bipolar person, and I'm an artist. And it's all it all works. And I'm a mother and a wife and a friend, and it all works together really beautifully. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a bit about me. I hope that wasn't too much. <laughs> no, it's a lot to unpack. What I'd like to do is unpack some of it. I've been taking notes as you're talking. I think your life is fascinating. And I want to go back to the beginning when you talk about when you were a child and you fell in love with words. And I, I really feel like this this is an interesting spiritual gift. Like it's like like 
I, I always struggle with the words, what it, God, source, spirit, whatever words people want to have for it out there. I say God, but to me what that means is the, the creative force under us, under everything, under all of creation. And, and, and your, your spiritual gift was, is this gift of words. And I think that's really, really interesting, very beautiful. And because I know that you know, your relationship with poetry, for example, is completely different than my relationship with poetry. <laughs> to me, poetry was something, you know, I had to, I, it would have been an English assignment or something. And I remember writing it, but it, it wasn't fluid for me. I didn't really enjoy it. I wasn't horrible at it, but it wasn't my gift. And so I think it's just so wonderful. I want to highlight to people who are listening that this gift of words is a unique spiritual gift and that you have used that gift really well. Then you went on to talk about your connection to nature as a child and being out on the log, or I might have missed some of that. And and that even though you liked the Bible stories, that this idea of going out in nature was more of a pagan view. And that just made me sad. I, I not, not sad that that was sad for you. It's sad to me that the idea of being in nature is not is not part of traditional religion. <laughs> I mean, why would that be considered pagan? You know what I mean? I'm, it's like, I, I know what you're saying, but you know, God created everything. You know, the trees, the, the moss, the rocks, the dirt, the, the land, the rain, everything. And so, you know, how else, how better can we honor God, the creator, than to reflect upon and love and revere and be in awe of creation? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the 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 churches are cut off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really consider that pagan, although I don't care if it's considered pagan or not. That's not a bad word for me, but it's like to me, that's honoring God. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I see, I see God in nature. I mean, that's where that's where God resides for me is when, you know, if you think about the concept of letting go. Okay, we all kind of think about how do we let go of our the things that are holding us back on our spiritual journeys? How do we let go of resentments? How do we let go of depression? How do we let go of things like that? And then you think about a leaf. How does a leaf know when to let go of its tree? It's it's how? amazing. It's a miracle. It's a yeah. miracle. Yeah. And there are so many miracles. I mean, I in my journaling that I do every morning, I always ask my higher power to keep my eyes, my ears, and my heart open to the many miracles that I will encounter in life today, inevitably. And so much, so much of that is the miracle of seeing a bluebird on our bird feeder or a goldfinch or seeing a little vinca flower blooming in this terrible weather, a little purple vinca flower that somehow decided, I'm going to come bloom in this Arctic weather and show everybody it can be done. I mean, that is amazing. That is totally it's, amazing it's, to me. Yeah, it's so, so amazing. And I mean, I, I, I feel that we really miss something if, if we've, we, how we separated nature from religion or, or from worship or whatever. I mean, it's like that's some, that's some you know, pagan thing or that's some, you know, non Christian thing. It's like, I, I, I mean, God didn't just make, God didn't just make the Bible for God's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> but everything. Yeah. You know, us, our bodies are absolutely amazing, so miraculous. And everything that's out there in nature that we, you know, think is ours to dominate. And we think that's biblical too, but it's it's not. So yeah. so I I really 
I think I think that it's the child within us that most of us are disconnected with. The child within us that wants to be barefoot and running out in the grass. And I mean, I spent my childhood. I was so so fortunate. I grew up in Northern California, where the weather was good most of the year round. You know, and I was outdoors most of my childhood and going through streams and, you know, hiking through the hills and riding my bike places and exploring. And, you know, when I went to camp, it was in the Sierras, you know, (laughs) the, the mountains and just, just beauty. And it was such a natural extension of myself. Then when I moved to Houston, which was much more of a planned kind of community where there's houses there wasn't a lot of green space at least where we were and and it was hot and <laughs> there's something that got very cut off from nature mm-hmm. and because it wasn't as as available mm-hmm. but you could still find it and i i think that i think that your child knew you know knew where to find god you find god i mean, i guess you had mr riley <laughs> who was you said as an entity but and what does that mean what does that mean was that like a like a spirit I don't know. I just used to talk to him. Okay. I, mean, I just I get used, that. He was, so he was like, like your just, friend. Like a friend. Just a yeah. friend. Right. That, I get that. that. Would, and, I would, and I would get messages. I would get a response. So, yeah. Heart, it could be an angel, know? a higher yeah. higher self. Yeah. It, it could yeah. be way the God showed up for you in, yeah. in some sort of, yeah. And yeah. I, 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 have, I have imaginary friends. And I, I, you know, the imagination, all of that. It's this wonderful way to live. So I think that's such a cool part of your story. Um, and... And then you went on to talk about your alcoholism and the recovery, and what a great what a great story that is to be aware. Because I, I think that we I think we can easily get cut off from source, from our spiritual life, from the guidance. We can easily get cut off. We can get cut off with TV, with devices, we can get cut off from all of our addictions. All, all these all these things can cut us off. But you you seemed very aware. And that that's what struck me, that you were aware that you were soul sick, that your soul felt that it had been sucked out of you. You know, even when that was happening, you had like this higher self that was kind of or something that was kind of watching mm-hmm. it and saying, I I can see that I am not where I want to be and I'm my 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 soul is sick. I think that's so sweet to be able to to re- recognize that in you, because I I think that's hard to see when you're stuck in the muck, when you're down down yeah. in an addiction. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm I'm very grateful that I had the ability to see that, and that I had the ability then at that particular moment in my life when I was 24 years old to get down on my knees, even though I didn't believe in anything at that time, and ask for help. I I remember getting on my knees and saying help. And then in retrospect, you know, synchronicity at its best, things began to work in my favor to get me to the point where I ended up getting involved in recovery. And, you know, I mean, I, I, it, it all had to do with writing. It all had to do with going off to the Bennington Summer Workshop and then ending up being a teaching assistant at a writer's conference in Maine and meeting the right person at the right time. And, you know, it, but it all worked out beautifully. And and I love that about the universe, that it, that it just does these things so magically, puts the right people in our path at the right time. All we have to have is the openness and the willingness to, to receive it. Absolutely. And I think, I think that, 
getting down on your knees. <laughs> you know, to me, this is the, you know, palms out. I am here. I, I'm asking for help. There, there's, you know, in, in the gospels, you know, ask and you will receive. And people think that means I'm going to ask for a Corvette and I'm going to get it. And so because it doesn't happen, that's not true. That's not what that scripture is about at all. It's really about c coming down to that humble moment. And sometimes mm -hmm. our lives get so desperate. The hero's journey brings us down to the very, very, very bottom of what's what seems possible for us. It's only when we're at that bottom where we actually surrender and go, okay, God, or, or whatever word it is, higher self, spirit, universe, you know, help me. And, and yeah. that's that pivot, then everything... Everything you say, you said, then everything started. Didn't wasn't like magical. Everything was better the next day, but things started showing up in your favor. Yeah, it's like that gift of desperation because you hit the bottom. You hit the bottom, and there's no way to go but up. I mean, I suppose you could stay at the bottom if you really wanted to, and you could drink yourself to death. But, but if you have the willingness to be awakened, to accept grace into your life, then there's no way to go but up. So right, and yeah. it is that it is that willingness, and it doesn't even have to be a lot, just a little, like a, a tiny, tiny bit. bit. Yeah, yeah, just it's like it's like cracking open a, a, a door, or a window, or opening the yeah. blinds just a little bit, and boy, the universe is, responds to that. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, now now we can be on the same team, and let's see what we can yeah. create together. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were just talk what you were just talking about a minute ago with um, the tuning out, and the I don't know what you were actually saying, but it reminded me about this poem I wrote, and I was wondering if I could read it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Is it in your book? This book? It's in my book. It's okay. called Point. Ooh, that one, that one. I just want to let you know, I, I've I've kind of folded down little pieces, you know, of these, <laughs> but that one has my biggest fold down. Oh, okay. <laughs> that okay. was like, I want you to definitely read that one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ooh, ah, point. So many books just sit on shelves collecting dust. Life passed me by as I watched television or streamed shows on my phone. I've been there, down the Facebook rabbit hole, losing hours of my life, reading status reports, updates, reading status updates by people I barely know. When I go to Vermont this summer, I want to skirt the tourist traps Ignore the outlets and stores. Instead, I hope to hike the trail at Merck Forest, trudge up the mountain through an ocean of ferns to the sweet spot where I can see all the way to Massachusetts. To take deep breaths as I climb the rocky path to Lybrook Falls. Nothing makes sense anymore except the flora and fauna, orange mushroom tops on rotting logs the sea of golden poppies in the desert, the brilliant white-capped mountain keeping watch over Flagstaff. I don't have time to tune out. Who knows how much time is left? I choose to spend it at Ooh-Ah Point, gazing up at the teal and rose rocks, home to the spirit kings of the canyon. I love that. I I, I feel. I, of course, I think it happens with age. I think the older you get, the more you realize that time is just, I mean, it's, every moment is sacred and that we can't waste a lot of time. But I also think the last couple of years in our world have compressed time in a way that has made an urgency 
not an urgency like we got to get a lot of stuff done, but to make our moments matter. Like we just, Mm -hmm. like we just, you just don't know. We've never known. And you had, you've had your mother suddenly killed. I mean, that you've, you've had those moments in your life where it's like life was one way. And then like in the next moment, it was another way. Yeah. And dramatically different. And I think when those things happen to us, then it's like, okay, I, I get it. Like I've got to spend, I've got, I, I don't, I'm not going to spend my time on Facebook or no. <laughs> whatever it is that's, yeah. it, that's addictive. It's, it's a rabbit hole, like your poem yeah. says. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, a lot of the poems that I write have to do with living in the moment and, um, you know, not not struggling so much, not fighting so hard and not pushing so hard, but just accepting, accepting the beauty of the moment and the beauty in the moment. There was a, a play I was in in high school called Our Town by Thornton Wilder, and I played Emily. And I remember one of the lines Emily says to the stage manager, do human beings ever realize life while they live it every, every minute? And he says, some do, saints and poets maybe. And every morning, that's what I ask to do in my journal is to live every moment, you know, to live every, every moment, because we really don't know what's going to happen. No. And I mean, I'm curious, did you ever go down the Facebook rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah, I have been there and I, and I can, I, it can draw me back in. I mean, I really try not to yeah. because I find myself experiencing negative emotions that I don't really choose to entertain any longer. You know, like I, I get tired of seeing everybody's lives so much out front there with all the trips they're going on or the the eggs they ate for breakfast or the this or the that or the other. I mean, it just, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't need to know everything. I don't need to know everything, but it is fun to post Christmas pictures. And, and, you know, we all wore the same pajamas this Christmas and it was fun to post those pictures and get feedback from friends. So I have to say, I went there a little bit this Christmas. (laughs) The other part of your story, this realization that you were publishing and writing for other people, but you needed to find your own voice. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that that is such a great message for everyone who's listening. And this is why I love having people on just tell, tell their story because everybody's story has something in it for others to go, okay, I resonate with that. Finding your own voice is something that you recognize because you are being a voice for others. And some people, they don't have a voice at all because they keep it quiet. Others, they're speaking for, they're doing things for others. But for us to each one of us find our own voice at some point in our lives, we have to ask that question. We have to cross that threshold to find our own voice and not not being repeaters of other people or not just singing other people's songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah. I think that's a beautiful part of your story too. Well, thank you. I I think that the way that I found my own voice was it's kind of described in my memoir how to remodel a life. That book has little chapters after little toolkits after each chapter that talk about the tools I've used over the years to to do that, to find my own voice, to become my own authentic self. And um anyway, I I really think that 
you can't underestimate the importance of self-care, of doing, of, for me, having a routine. I mean, my days are very, very similar, but not boring. I get up every morning and I have an hour and a half or so of meditation and prayer. I, I use an app called Insight Timer, and I do a lot of meditation on that. And I have prayers that I go to and I write in my journal every morning. I've done that since 1998 when I used Julia Cameron's great book, The Artist's Way. And so I do that in the morning and then I make my bed and I have my coffee and I make sure that every, you know, I, I take a shower, clean myself up and get dressed in clothes that feel comfortable to me, not clothes that I'm trying to fit into because I should lose five pounds or, you know, I want to look skinny or I, I feel like I want to be somebody else. No, the clothes that I wear today, I wear because I feel good in them. They are me. Um, and that's a big deal from somebody who always used to only wear black at certain periods of her life. So she'd look slim or wear fitted clothes only so that I could look a certain way. You know, that, that persona is gone. And I'm so glad the other part of self-care for me is every day, making sure I get outside and I take at least a 20 minute walk, at least that, but I prefer to, to walk about three or four miles a day and, and just, Breathe the air and see what's out there. See what the pine cones have done and see, you know, see what's coming up in the in the grass and look at the ice etchings on the edge of the leaves these mornings and you know, just be in in the sunlight and and feel it and do that every day. Get some exercise every day and also make healthy choices around food. You know, it's hard during the holidays because there's so much stuff, but you don't have to freak out and say oh, I ate so badly during the holidays, you know, I guess I'm lost. I guess it's all over. No, you can go back to eating your healthy food and, mm -hmm. you know, you can enjoy yourself, have a little reprieve and then just get back into, you know, making sure you eat greens and you eat veg fruits and vegetables and drink enough water and do those things. And they're simple things. They're, they're simple things like making my bed is such a simple thing, but I, it, it sets me up for the day. And, and you're doing it for you. You're doing it as self-care. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you, 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 you put self-care in the category of your own voice. Is that correct? Yes, because I don't think if I had never taken the time to take care of myself and to put myself first, it's me first. It's not me only. But if I had not put me first and said, I need to get outside for a walk. I need to eat this salad for lunch and not a grilled cheese sandwich. You know, I mean just because that's my choice. You know, I, I, it's okay for me to say, I'm going to do this. I don't think I ever would have fallen in love with myself the way that I've fallen in love with myself the way that I have and been able to find the person that I am. You know, I used to be so afraid. What if my husband died? What if my kids all leave? How will I be? I'll be this empty shell. And I don't feel that way anymore. I don't want my husband to die. I don't want to be left alone, but I know I'd be all right if I, if I was, because I'm never really alone. I always have God with me, right. you know, in my yeah. heart. And, you know, so. And, and you're taking that walk every day. It's almost like, it's almost like your child is, yeah. is getting out in nature like she used to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wish we had more open fields and meadows and stuff, but we do have a nice park at the end of our street. And, 
you know, when we get out on the weekends, we go hiking and, and go to different parks and stuff around or go to the beach or do something fun. And it's nice to, it's nice to get out. That's why I love going to Vermont to see my sister because it's so pretty up there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So back to your story, I think the last thing that I kind of highlighted, even though I've got a few more after this, is your story about your husband and his liver mm-hmm. and how you all turn that, you both turn that from kind of a loss to an acceptance. That mm-hmm. the, the, And when you got okay, you said you got okay with the acceptance of the situation. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, again, it was almost like that, almost like that same time when you were like on your knees saying, help mm-hmm. me. Well, except, it was. Okay, it yeah, was. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it definitely was. I think for each of us, you know, everybody has their own concept of God and their own concept of spirit, universe, whatever. My husband meditates differently than I do, but we both went to our own place our own god and got okay with that and you know i think if you i think for me the most important thing i've incorporated or been able to embrace in my life is this sense that i will always be taken care of i will always be taken care of no matter how grim things look, no matter how difficult things can be, I know that I have that spirit both within me and without me, and I will be okay. You know, what was it? Was it St. Teresa of Avila who said, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well? And I believe that. And we believed that at the time, that no matter what happened, it was all going to be all right. But it took getting very quiet and putting our faith and our trust in our respective gods to to get there. Yeah, and, and you found truth. You know, truth yeah. is you you're you'll be okay and you're never yeah. alone. Yeah. And and that's those are fundamental fundamental truths. And Jay Krishnamurti, he he said something that I, I I've used a lot. I used to use it when I was doing church in my sermons is he said I don't mind what happens. <laughs> just, just I don't mind what happens. That's whatever arises that I'm willing to accept. And it's hard. I mean, it certainly seems hard. We fight it. You know, we fight whether it's a diagnosis or something that's going on in the world or something that's going on with our children or something. Anything that that is contrary to our plan or our vision, you know, we have this reaction to it. But if we can get to this place that, that Jay Krishnamurti got to, which is, I don't mind what happens, then mm-hmm. again, all of the miracles and the magic comes in. And mm-hmm. it, again, for you, it, th- the universe turned for you and mm-hmm. said, here's a liver. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things I think is if you don't run away from those feelings, if you allow those feelings to process and don't run away from them, don't be afraid of them. Go walk into them, walk into them. And, you know, I, our daughter, our younger daughter got married in April and Tom, my husband had to have a third surgery since his liver transplant because the cancer spread to his lungs. So he had to have pieces of both lungs removed. 
and he was having another surgery. And this was all on Easter, right around Easter weekend of this year. My daughter got married on the Saturday of Easter weekend. Tom was having the surgery on the Monday of Easter weekend. And on the Friday, on Good Friday, I was feeling so something. I couldn't even put a name on the emotion I was feeling. I just knew I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk to a human being about it. I didn't want to hear advice. I didn't want somebody to yak at me. I, I didn't even want to open my mouth and, and verbalize it, but I knew I didn't, I knew I needed to let it go. So I lay down on my bed and I put on some meditation music. And all of a sudden I started bawling, just weeping. And I felt, you know, I was so excited for my daughter. She has such a lovely husband now. And I was so excited for her that she was getting married, but it felt like such a loss. Like, here's my baby, the last one in the nest, leaving the nest. And she's taking his last name and it will never be the same again. And and then I was like also bawling because I was so afraid momentarily that something would happen to Tom and I would lose him too. And the, just this sense of loss. So I let myself cry for a few minutes and then I pulled myself together. I said, okay, that's enough. You know, you've done it. You can now pull yourself together. So and then this calm came over me and I heard this voice come out of nowhere. I do hear voices at times. And it just said to me, you will never be alone. You will never be alone. And it was just so calming to me. Like, that's true. You know, all these other situations, I, I am as a human being innately alone on this earth, but I will never be alone. You know, that's right. That's right. And that's is the same voice also told you to write. Yes, yes. Tells me also told me one time when I was down on my knees praying like a banshee, you know, weeping and wailing, snot coming out of my nose. God, where are you? I need you. Help me, help me. Where are you? I don't feel you. Help me. And all of a sudden I yawned and I thought, oh my God, God is bored with me. And then... <laughs> Then I heard this voice come out of nowhere and say to me, run along and play. And, and that to me has been my mantra for life is like, run along and play. All my higher power, all God wants me to do in this life. Run along and play. Just have a good time. Just run along and play. I love that. We make things so hard. Yeah, we do. We, take we make them so complicated. <laughs> we get so stressed, you know, we are so burdened. And it's as simple as run along and play. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like that. That's a that's a great that's a great voice. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That's the title of your next book. Well, we got a few more minutes. I think it'd be nice if you read some more of your poetry. Okay. I was thinking of this one called Another Chance. Okay. The cows outside are so fuzzy that they make me laugh, lying in the mud like marshmallows on hot chocolate. The silver sky promises snow and a long nap. Later, I'll sit by the fire and read my father's old sermon. I don't agree with everything he said, but I get this. God has given me a second chance a new chance every day. Impossibly wonderful, this life of mine. I just 
I like that one. <laughs> I like that too. And I love the impossible, this is an impossibly wonderful life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to wake up every day and say, welcome to my impossibly wonderful life. <laughs> yes. And what, what miracles are going to happen today? And what am I going to create today? Yeah. And how, yeah. what am I going to find when I'm out running along and playing? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's one more I could read. Is yeah. Right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Called All There Is. Is this all that there is, you ask? Some would say so. Not me. All this is so much. There is no need for more. I cannot speak for you. For me, it is enough to feel the seductive sun warm after bone-chilling cold, teasing me to peel off my winter layers and leave my bare flesh to feel spring's lips. The whole world bursts with living. Tiny purple bubbles of flocks erupt into flower. Every tree wears a veil. Green leaves slippery as they electrify the landscape. Resilient robins, their plump chests puff, announce, in case you hadn't heard, a new day is here. Is this all that there is, you ask? If it is, it stops here with this carousel of color and song, with the magician's trick of night, stars, moon. I will clap my hands together. Beautiful. I, I'm curious about your process of, of, of writing, like a poem like that. Is it something that just kind of is a download and it comes to you when you write it? Or is it something like something happens in the world and it, you know, the robin or something and it reminds you to write and then this comes out? How does, how does your process work? I think it's different for each poem in a way. That's a, that's a very interesting question. I'm trying to think, like I wrote a poem recently what happens sometimes is I'll I'll have one little catalyst, like a hanging fern on our porch, or I hear a bird outside and it it tips off something. It's usually a catalyst like that that gets things going and and starts me um, moving in that direction. But yeah, I don't know. Poetry is such a funny thing. It it mostly when I'm just quiet, really quiet, and a lot of times I'll be lying in bed, try, you know, about to go to sleep and a poem will come to me or in the middle of the night and I'll just get up and write it down. And it's it's when I am not trying to think, when I am not trying to control or push or I really wanted to write a poem about Christmas this year. And I've tried on several occasions, but I'm trying too hard. And I just have to say, OK, let it go. If you're supposed to write a poem about your Christmas experience, it will come. You know, it will come. You got to stop pushing so hard. So, yeah. Would Would you read Heart Overhead? Heart Overhead. On the sidewalk, a newspaper declares, a dream come true. This is a dreamy morning. The air effervescent, light sparkling on the trees. So why am I anxious? A tiny red ladybug creeps across a crepe myrtle leaf. She is so small. Her journey is so long. True for all of us, I suppose, as the greater light shines on whom it chooses. I used to think that God was in all things, white crepe myrtle blossoms, Queen Anne's lace, butterflies in the meadow, the breeze. But that was five minutes ago. 
Now I feel that God is in my heart, helping me choose how I respond to the world. As I walk along the path, being in the moment, my heart over my head, I imagine Eve walking in Eden before she doomed us all to overthinking. I want to live with a mind blank as a piece of white paper, only focused on wind that sounds like falling water and ribbons of light circling the ivy-covered oak. Beautiful. I really like that one. Although I think Adam also doomed us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But she was the smart one. She was... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about what happened there, but but I do think that story, the story of 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 Adam and Eve, is an interesting story about us making a decision to move from the oneness and the heart center and the connection with all to we can be gods, we can control things, we yeah. can you know we can think we can think our way through all this right. and and boy we're on that trajectory we're on the ultimate path as we go into like transhumanism and the other stuff that that's happening happening along that path of being gods and we can control the world and so i think going back to that simple taking walks getting, getting sitting on logs and walking barefoot and noticing the leaves and watching all of nature and how she does her thing helps us to you know ground us in that other reality that I think we were intended to live in. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to give you we're coming up on an hour. We've got a few more minutes, but I want to give you any last words, anything that you want to convey, any any message you may have or anything you want to say. Anything I want to say. <laughs> this is your chance. <laughs> this is my <laughs> oh, oh dear. Just that you know, I think poetry is often a a thing that chokes people up. People have such an attitude about poetry and they maybe had a bad experience of it in school or they think that all poems are about rhyming or they think that poetry is, you know, this or that or the other. And there's some great rhymed poetry. I mean, I love Robert Frost's poems. I, I've known them since I was a kid and Dr. Seuss is always fun and, you know, but, but I would encourage people to put their prejudices toward poetry aside and just to let the pen move on the paper and see what comes out. Because you may be surprised by the sound of your own voice. I'm definitely surprised by the voice that has come out through my poetry. That's not the voice I thought I had. But it's it's definitely, you know, my daughter says to me, Mom, you have a very distinctive voice. I could tell your poetry from anybody else's. And and it's true. And I'm and I'm really pleased with that today, that I have found my voice and I can I can speak through my poems. And it's it's a very special kind of personal, joyful place to be when you're writing a poem. So I would I would really encourage people to try to give it a go and and explore different types of poetry. There's lots and lots of different types of poems out there. You don't have to be reading sonnets and Shakespeare and everything else. You can you can reverse and just have a good time with it. So, yeah, I'm reminded as you speak of that that I used to think there was a certain way to pray, like I had to get the words right. But then I heard a minister once pray in a very conversational manner. 
I mean, just like having a conversation with God, very casual. And I'm like, well, I can do that. <laughs> I don't have to say certain words. And I think people have that same kind of orientation towards poetry, like it has to have some sort of structure. So it's supposed to be a certain way. But but just have it be a flow of your own art form and your own expression and see what comes out. I think that's really, really, really great advice and also encouragement. Just on the topic of the conversation, I just want to read one last poem. Um, It's called The Conversation. If I came face to face with God this very minute at our old wooden table, scarred and burned by casseroles and knives, I might be inclined to tell him no need to be gentle with me. But underneath my worn silk blouse, my heart would pound and I would plead, be kind, be kind. I am not afraid of death. It's losing life that scares me. A black void of no feeling, unbeing, ceasing to exist. Like the space in my mind when I can't remember something. I would miss blackberry cobbler hot from the oven. Hugs from my children. Spring birds early in February breaking winter shell. The purple violets embroidering a tender green lawn. This isn't over yet. The conversation between us. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Hope, for sharing your poetry, your wisdom, your life, your journey. I I know that there are people out there that will really benefit from your story and your poetry. And I, I think it's, I agree with your daughter. You have a unique voice and it's beautiful. And I appreciate your sharing it with the world. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was fun. It was, it was fun. fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening. And I now close the spiritual forum. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being. Thank you.